Yo, yo, fucking yo. What the hell's going on, Energy Fam? Welcome back to the next episode of Primal Alchemy's Red Pill Initiation Hour. Here with your host, Chris Story. It's been quite some time, guys. Well, you know, not really, but it's been a week and a half. That's quite long. Normally, I release two episodes every week. And it feels like it's been eternity since the last episode dropped. And I know you guys have been sleeping on me. But I'm back and I'm here to awaken you from your deep spiritual slumber with some woke as fuck wisdom bombs. But first things first, a little bit of housekeeping before we kick shit off with today's episode. And I want to tell you that phase two of Primal Alchemy is closer than ever. Uh, The past few weeks have been a massive learning experience for me, just pulling in all of the shit I've been working on for the past, well, four years, to be honest with you guys, four fucking years. It feels like eternity, and it really does. And yeah, I've finally started to solidify and materialize my great visualization of the Primal Alchemy brand. And I couldn't have done that without you guys. You've been here with me from day one, or maybe you're just tuning in for the first time. But Ayo, still the same. You're still here with me now, and that's all that matters in that present moment, dude. So, yeah, I just want to say a massive thank you. Thank you for supporting me with this podcast, with the Red Pill Initiation Hour. Thank you for supporting me with the Primal Alchemy brand by purchasing our products, our Vitruvian proteins, working with me one-to-one with our ancestral potential coaching programs, just giving me the support by showing that you're interested in what I have to say and not laughing behind my back or to my face, really. I don't really mind. Whatever, guys. So, uh, yeah, as always, I am asking you to please give me some feedback. Give me some feedback of what you are thinking. What is going through your trail of thought? What is your brain tuning into within the infinite ocean of cosmic frequencies is primal alchemy in that stream of consciousness let me know if you're listening to this and you're enjoying the podcast so far then please leave me a review on itunes apple podcasts google podcasts spotify youtube whatever platform you're listening to it on guys please reach out to me and just give me give me give me something just so i know And uh, yeah, so I briefly mentioned it just then about the whole phase two of Primal Alchemy uh, starting to kick off. I think I am probably about, improv, uh, maybe about a month away from getting all of the new products out, all of the new services. You're going to see loads of new branches that are going to be growing from the Primal Alchemy world tree, the great tree. And uh, I can't explain it, guys. I can't explain how excited I am to present you with everything that I've been working on. It really is going to begin to resemble what I always discuss about superhuman optimization, physical, mental, spiritual optimization. Beforehand, all I had to present you guys to resemble the brand was Vitruvian Protein. One single protein powder was the seed in which the Primal Alchemy brand has grown out of. And yes, it's now time to enjoy the fruits 
of the uh the labors of the past four years and it's not just me that's going to enjoy it guys it's you because i'm going to give you something in return that no one else is doing no one else is talking about this shit no one else is creating this shit no one else is on this level that myself and you guys are on and how do i know that you guys are on that level as well because you're listening to me right now you're not sat there watching love island that's a uk show by the way if anyone's stateside is listening stateside um i don't know i don't know what you guys watch at cnn fox news same sort of shit so yes enough rambling for now let's jump on in today's episode which is with mr rafe kelly really enjoyed this one guys in fact this is probably in my top three of favorite podcasts that I've ever recorded. And you know when I am very much enjoying the podcast because I don't fucking talk. I'm like a little hermit, just sat there listening. And this was one of those. And Rafe really took me by surprise. Like I knew he was deep and I knew he had a lot to say, but everything he was discussing on this podcast just really resonated with me. And I was sat there in my head just like fuck man this guy is on some next level with where he's at with his own personal practice of you know self-mastery and uh yeah i was really looking forward to sharing this one with you guys and since i've only been dropping in one one episode a week maybe one episode every two weeks for the past month or so um it's been a little bit slower getting these this episode out particularly uh than i had originally hoped for so yeah, let's not waste no more time. Let's jump straight into it. Hope you enjoy it, guys. Oh, it's been a while since I've said this. Whew, big breath in. Ready, set, go. Morpheus, tell these fools what's up. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. As above, so below, what lies without resides within, time for growth to begin, mental, physical, and spiritual, we find balance with all three as we focus on totality, the whole, not the half, this is for those on a spiritual path, looking for the clues to the answers of life, but the truth ain't always nice, so leave your ego at the door, let your inner lion roar, and your spirit soar, as we go deep down to the molecular level, tap into the body, some yogic breath, throw in some calisthenics for a true strength test Like the shamans of old, we use the nature to heal With a little bit of DMT to reveal This whole life journey is a little surreal And your mind needs a leader, not a follower in life Let your mind be the master and you pay a hefty price This next 60 minutes is about self-mastery It's not an easy path and it's a lifelong journey But we up to empower with this red pill initiation hour With this red pill initiation hour Brought to you by the Matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Three, two, one, and oh shit, by the power of Zeus, guys, we're back. We're up with episode 54 of the Red Pill Initiation Hour. And today we're going to take things back to our natural habitat we're going to look at about natural movement we're going to explore the roots 
of who we really are. And this is a conversation that I've been really interested in having for quite some time. Today's guest, I've followed his work, his play, his exploration of his own spirit and body for quite some time. And yeah, big fan of him, guys. And I know that you're going to be too once we uh, delve a little bit deeper into his work. So today's guest is Mr. Rafe Kelly. Rafe is the owner of Evolve, Move and Play. And yeah, I think I've, I think you guys are going to love this one. It's, uh, I, as you know, I'm always trying to give you guys some, uh, some pretty far out there esoteric perspectives of life. And there are also esoteric perspectives when it comes to fitness and uh, being physical. And the more we delve deeper into the, uh, into the secrets of the human body, the more we can uh, really begin to connect with our true essence. And there's different methodologies of doing so. And you guys know by now that uh, I'm really into nutrition. You know, I'm into the spiritual realm. But there is a, there, I believe that fitness, when, when explored correctly, is a good medium that connects the mind, body, and soul together. And yeah, today's guest, Rafe, I know that he has a lot of experience in being able to uh, being able to embody that with his philosophy of exercise, with his philosophy of movement, and just overall in life. So I just want to give a massive warm welcome to Rafe. Thanks for coming on, brother. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Yeah, sure, man. So, uh, yeah, if you wouldn't mind, Rafe, giving us a little bit of an introduction on yourself. I know you've got quite some backstory and history that really made you who you are today. I know you've been in this sort of uh, game for quite some years, since the age of six or seven, I believe, is where you uh, met your mentor. And, yeah, it really started to put you onto your hero's journey, your hero's path that you've been living out ever since. And, yeah, Give it, get us up to speed with everything, right? And then we're literally rock and roll from there. Yeah, yeah. So to start with, the idea of evolving with play is essentially that human beings evolve from movement, that the body isn't supposed to sort of sit idle and just try to run the brain. Uh, the two things are connected. And, and actually, the way that we're designed to learn movement and to learn actually most things is through play. Um, and if we look at the way that people play that's, that's consistent across every culture in the world, that is the best guide to the movements that were really necessary for us from an evolutionary standpoint. If evolution made it really fun for us to engage in activity, and that's something that we see that's consistent across cultures, that's probably important to us. So the practice that we've developed is a practice around kind of harnessing those basic, you know, most natural movement drives and harnessing the way of using play to kind of bring us into those. Um, and that, you know, I had a, a really interesting, I guess, background that kind of led me to that insight because I grew up um, at the end of a dirt road as kind of a child of the hippie community. Um, and I, my dad was a super playful guy. You know, he, uh, he was a football player and a wrestler and loved a rough house and built crazy rope swings in the woods. Um, and he had learning disabilities. And when I went to, got to school, I also had learning disabilities, dyslexia and ADHD. My dad had a really hard time kind of dealing with seeing me go through the same trauma that he did and kind of separated from me emotionally at that age. Um, so I was going through a very hard time in my early childhood dealing with school, dealing with this disconnection from my father. And, uh, you know, one of the ways that one of the things I got interested in really on was martial arts. 
So around that time, six years old, I started um, uh, Tang Sudo, which is like a, a, um, a Korean martial art similar to Taekwondo, but more ground-based, less kicking oriented. And then um, at eight years old, I was taken out of school and my next door neighbor, um, Gopal, basically took over my education and became my mentor. And he did a few things for me that really helped me overcome my learning disabilities. The biggest one was that he just played with me a lot. He allowed me to play very physically and aggressively, um, like roughhousing, lots of wrestling, lots of being swung in the air, lots of being flipped over. And that was tremendously healing for me. Um, so the other thing was that he cut my schoolwork down to about uh, two hours a day. And so the rest of the time I could run around in the woods. So I was getting to wrestle all the time, was running around in the woods, and then he read me The Lord of the Rings, and that story was so inspirational, that idea of the hero's journey that's imparted in that story, that it gave me the, the inspiration to want to really teach myself to read, because I couldn't wait to, to read the next chapter. You know, I didn't want to wait for him to read it to me. So by the end of my uh, fourth grade, I went from being basically testing as if I had no progress in school, to reading The Lord of the Rings, and then the Iliad and the Odyssey to myself. So, so for me, movement had this really powerful way of, of creating a drive towards something that was meaningful to me. So I ended up training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Muay Thai in my teens. I started taking um, gymnastics when I was 15, did a lot of basketball. Um, and then I got really interested in teaching gymnastics. I just wanted to be in the gym and doing it. Uh, and so that, that ended up being one. Oh, you sound go down. Uh, do you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something just happened then. Just like yeah, yeah. I, think I, I, I didn't realize that my microphone wasn't all the way plugged in. Oh, but cool. No response. Anyways, so it should be better quality sound now. But uh, but yeah, so that was um, and at the same time I was an anthropology student, and actually I had started studying anthropology. It was that inspiration from the mythology and from from like epic literature that took me into history, mythology, folklore, and then anthropology. And so by the time I was 13 years old, I was consuming all of the anthropology books in my local library. By the time I was 16 and I entered um, community college, I'd read about 30 different ethnographies. So, so I had this deep interest in, in this kind of evolutionary and cross-cultural framework. And when I discovered parkour when I was 23, um, it was like, it was as if someone had taken the basic kind of principle that gymnastics was based on and ripped off the top layer and shown its primal underpinnings. Mm, yeah. That inspired me to go back into the martial arts. I got back into jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, got back into Muay Thai. And I wanted to essentially create a hero's art, right? I was, um, you know, I remembered reading all this epic literature where there was descriptions of the feats of heroes. You know, in the the Irish mythology is really interesting because of um, some of these stories about what the heroes were capable of, how they would, you know, run up to the top of a spear or do these crazy leaps over, or ride a barrel down a mountain to uh, to impress people. And it was very parkour-like. And uh, there's a, actually, there's a famous kind of Irish mythological group called the, uh, the Fianna. And the Fianna had an initiation ritual in order to join them. And one of the tasks was that you had to run through the woods while being chased by a bunch of men with spears. Um, and you had to be able to do it barefoot um, and pluck a thorn from your foot without breaking stride, go under a log as low as your knee, go over a log as high as your chin, and do that all without um, 
getting any hair out of your braids. So uh, it was basically that I had to run a parkour course. And there was other aspects to it too, but but I had this idea that, that you know somewhere in the mix of doing acrobatic skills, doing parkour and being able to move through your environment, being able to lift heavy things and being able to fight was this kind of hero's art. And so in 2005, 2006, I was, I was really starting to construct this for myself. And I was taking principles from CrossFit as well. Um, and then I, I got interested in, in Méthode Naturelle, which was the older French method from which, you know, some people believe elements of parkour are derived. Um, and I got into that. And then um, I, uh, I ended up working with Erwan, who I, I guess you had on the show yesterday. Uh, no, we, we, could, we, couldn't, we couldn't get Erwan on. He's coming on next Wednesday. Uh, next Wednesday, okay. So I worked with him for about two years. Um, but we parted ways because we just really didn't see things the same way. And, you know, I, I felt like, uh, we can get into that, but um, basically I really felt I needed to go deeply into one art in order to cultivate a path towards mastery so that I have a basic understanding of what that pathway looked like as I began, yeah. began looking at this broader set of things. And so I, I went really deeply into the parkour community at that time. I co-founded the first parkour gym on the West Coast. It was the third in North America and, you know, developed a big teaching program there. Um, and then in 2013, I, I decided that it was time to go back to this idea of the general human nature of movement. Um, and along the way, I, I got to train a little bit with Ido Portal and Ido uh, listened to me talk about these ideas I had behind what I thought natural movement should be. And he, he basically told me like, look, you need to follow my footsteps. You know, this is a voice that needs to be out there. Um, and then a month later, I met Kelly Sturette um, from Mobility Wad, and he kind of gave me the same feedback. So that was sort of the, the kick to get out of the nest of the parkour community and really put my own, uh, my own philosophy of movement out there. And mm. it's grown a lot since then. There's a, there's a lot more details to it, but that's, that was a lot of me talking in a row. So maybe we'll, <laughs> we'll take the next question. No, I really love that, man. I, I really love that you, uh, that you're integrating that sort of hero monomyth into the structure of essentially creating a hero. Uh, that's that re that fucking really resonates with me, dude. That's uh, that's very similar to what I'm doing here with Primal Alchemy, but it's not necessarily focused on the the physical exercise at this moment in time. It's more so in terms of creating. It's what the Primal Alchemy brand is about is increasing attribute points. Be, so you can increase your health, your mana points, your yeah, your strength, dexterity, your endurance, yeah. uh, or you know, all that sort of shit. But that that's level fascinating, up. man. I love yeah, level up. I love that. I love that, mate. That's uh, that's great. And I love watching your videos. Like I was watching one the other day, and it was it was where you were you had scaled some quite a high tree, and you mm -hmm. were literally just jumping from branch to branch. You must have been like twenty. 30 foot high and yeah. like a normal person would be up there clinging to that branch for life and then you're there just whoop, fucking <laughs> bolding yourself and i was like jesus fucking hell this i was like jesus rafe that's insane and the one where you've got like the tree that's in it's like a y and you're like yeah. run up and you do a front flip through it sure yeah, yeah. man it's oh, so yeah, yeah. Literally, it's it's hero. It's like a heroic movement. It's what you would see in a film. It's like what you'd expect if you were watching like a, a classic rendition of Hercules and you see the Greek warriors and they're running and they're doing all of the crazy shit. 
with it around their environment. It's uh, yeah, man, I'm absolutely in love with your and just how you explained it there with with your philosophy. That's amazing. Yeah. So. I want to just riff on the hero's journey idea because that's actually become even more a part of what I've done. It's kind of interesting because maybe that was the initial inspiration and that was actually maybe my first idea as I started looking at the natural movement, but it went away for a little bit. Um, uh, actually when I was working with Irwan Amuvnat and I was talking to him about the hero stuff, he was really, uh, he's really negative about that. He really pushed back on that. And, and I kind of got into other things and other ideas that were, that were interesting to me. Um, and then after I was teaching Evolve Move Play for something like three years. So I started in 2013 and then in 2016, October 2016, I ran to Jordan Peterson's work. Um, and, you know, I, I was listening to him on the Joe Rogan podcast and, and it just sort of like, I was fascinated. And at the time I was listening to tons of, of like strength and conditioning and, you know, like, um, sport science podcasts. And all my time was spent on those when I was listening to podcasts. And all of a sudden I was just diving into this Peterson stuff and, uh, listening to, you know, I listened to like 200 hours of his content, something like that. And, and so that all, most of that took place while I was not on the road teaching. So I was basically my teaching year usually starts in say April and goes to November because that's when the weather's nice. And then when the weather's rainy, it's hard to get people out. So from November to, to March, I was, I was absorbing this information and I kept asking myself, like, why am I so fascinated by this? Why, why is this taking all of my attention? And I went to, to, uh, to teach in LA that year. And as I was teaching all of a sudden, um, all of this information that I received from listening to those lectures started popping up as relevant to the stuff that I was teaching my students in the seminar. And I, all of a sudden I saw this congruence and as if I had realized that fundamentally what I was talking about with evolving with play sat right on top of what Peterson was talking about with his like maps of meaning idea that fundamentally the thing is that we have to orient towards something. We have to be aimed at something. And, um, and when we voluntarily approach things and we voluntarily put ourselves on the edge of what scares us, like going up and, and, and jumping from tree branch to tree branch, um, we are able to, to bring something good out of the chaos of potential and to make ourselves the type of person that we would admire. And that became the fundamental of what I'm doing, this idea that, that fundamentally um, a human being doesn't, isn't satisfied by just being. They have to be in the, in the process of becoming something. We have to be aimed. Mm, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you know, what Peterson says, and this is backed up by the neurological research, is essentially the, the neurohormonal states that are associated with prolonged positive emotion, positive emotion, are those that measure your ap approach to a goal. So you have satisfaction of needs, having things, like, you know, when you're hungry, you eat. And when you're eating, you're happy. But your baseline happiness doesn't go up because you had one meal right? It's the same thing for sexuality. It's the same thing for material possessions beyond meeting certain basic necessities. There's little, there's little sort of increase in happiness, which is why you meet all these people who are very wealthy, who are, uh, who are not happy. Like there's a beautiful song, um, uh, a satisfied mind, right? Uh, do you know this song? No. Who's it by? I think it's an old gospel song actually, but 
but uh, I've heard, I think Johnny Cash do it and Jeff Buckley. But the one of the lines in the song is, how many times have you heard someone say, if I had his money, I would do things my way. But little they know that it's so hard to find one rich man in 10 with a satisfied mind. Mm. So recently I've been, uh, I've been diving into another thinker around meaning, uh, whose name is John Vervacki. And through him and through a couple other people, I've been thinking about this concept of like having being and becoming like, let's, there's like three different modes. So the having mode is like, you know, I have ice cream, right? I have a car. I have a girlfriend. The being mode is like, I am present and I'm able to, to enjoy this experience. And then the becoming mode is I'm, I'm going towards something that's meaningful to me. And you kind of have, you have to operate in all these modes, but we tend to make this mistake in capitalism that, that the having mode will deliver what we need. Right. Mm, okay. It's like we want to be happy and we think if we have the right stuff, we will be happy, but it's, it's more complicated than that. And then physical practices, in my opinion, are really about the becoming mode. They're about how we craft ourselves into the type of person that we would admire. And then something like a mindfulness or meditative practice is about the being mode. It's about being in the moment and changing your moment to moment experience of your life. And I think that, um, that the optimal path for a human being has to include the becoming and the being right. You can, you can only manipulate your, your experience of, of, well, you may be able to manipulate your experience of being in the moment to a great deal, but a lot of times it ends up feeling empty. I know a lot of people who've gone deep into meditative practice and come out of it and said like, I could feel really good by just adjusting myself in my brain, but I wasn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. And then on the other hand, you see a lot of great athletes and they, you know, they achieve things that are incredible and they're highly driven and yet they can't enjoy their achievements because they're so oriented towards what they're becoming that they can never take the moment to actually enjoy the being of what they're becoming. Yes. Yes. Totally on that level. Right. So you want to set yourself up so you have the things that you need. So you're not suffering, right? Unnecessarily. But no, you don't need more than that. You want to make sure that you're, you're able to, to bring yourself into presence. And you want to make sure that you're oriented towards becoming something that you would admire, towards, towards some sort of long-term goal, because that's what really makes people um, have meaning. And, and in my opinion, the most powerful place to explore that is in a physical practice, because, because you are a body and you're not just a brain. And the most sort of like skin in the game, fundamental way to test yourself against reality, to embody yourself into reality, to have a more literally sensational life as in the sensations of life is to engage in movement practice and in movement practice in nature, like feel the sun on your skin, feel the stones under your hand, like be present, smell. Um, That's when I think that we are able to tap into flow states. That's when we're able to, uh, to live a life that, that is to our own optimal good, you know? So a lot of different ideas I just threw out there at you, but uh, what does that bring up for you there? It's something that resonates very deeply with me, man, because it's something that is almost what you said is a direct mirror into what I'm going through in my own life of I'm creating this brand and I'm so focused on the end goal of 
becoming the guy that I envision my destiny has in store for me. It's always about becoming. And then I always have to center myself in the moment and say, like, just be, be him. And it's hard for me to sort of balance the two and reconcile the two, what, two very distinct and different, like, aspects of myself. And the way you, the way you just articulated it then, then, man, it's, that, that was really good. I really, that really, uh, that really hit home and it explained it to me on a level that I haven't come across before. And yeah, I'm still kind of just processing it now because that was really deep, man. And it's, it's almost like I had, <laughs> so it's so strange. It's so it's, it's almost like this conversation came to me at exactly when it needed to come to me for me to learn what you just said, that lesson, and then to embody that. Cause that's something that I have been sort of conf- been confronted with for quite some time which I feel like is holding me back a little bit in my own life and in the development of myself and my business it's this conflict between the being and the becoming and I was first presented with that um that sort of philosophy uh through a friend maybe like a year and a half ago and she brought it up to me she is an she was um an occupational therapist and it was something she was studying and she brought it up to me. She was like, have you ever heard about this? It seems like something that would really resonate with you. And cause you're so obsessed with the hero's journey and some of those other sort of uh, philosophical ideas. And I was, I, I've, yeah, I read the paper and I was like, yeah, I really, I, that, that's really interesting. But the way that you explained it then was much more, uh, much more harder hit into home and where do you where do you feel most people live in their day-to-day life when it comes to when it falling into one of those categories i mean i think that you know i think that capitalism and consumerism which have certain benefits that are really tremendous i think they tend to 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 trick us into thinking that the secret is in the, in the having mode, right? It's yeah. about getting things that that life is about getting things. Um, and I think that when we, we reorient towards becoming and being, we find it's much more sustainable to, to kind of have a, uh, um, a peak experience of life. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, I think that when you, you know, I meet people who, who have sort of gone on the spiritual journey. Um, and I, sometimes I feel like they get trapped in the being mode and then I meet athletes, like I said, and they get trapped in the becoming mode. So I think there's, there's a balance that has to be found between all of these. Right. And I think that in some sense, that's like maybe what Buddha was talking about too. Right. Cause he was talking about this middle way. Yeah. The right? golden path. You can, you can let go of, um, uh, you can let go of, of having to the point where you're, you're starving, you know, and that, that doesn't actually serve the world. It doesn't serve you optimally. So you, you, you know, like take care of yourself, take care of your family, engage in right action. Um, and then, and then recognize that that only takes you so far. Right. I think that, you know, the problem that we have in the West right now is essentially we've, we've produced the best solution that's ever been produced for taking care of our material needs. Um, but in taking care of our material needs, we've lost sight of the fact that that's only a, a small subsection of our total needs. Um, I was I was listening to uh, a, 
I think it was a, a discussion between Vervaki and Peterson actually, where they're talking about this idea that um, that essentially uh, science grew out of alchemy, and that yeah, it was Peterson was talking about this. Science grew out of alchemy, which is a word you like there. Um, so essentially, it was like Christianity had said to people. Uh, fulfillment is in the spiritual realm, right? And you'll be redeemed through Christ in the spiritual realm if you devote yourself to that. Um, and the alchemists sort of looked at the world and they said, you know, supposedly redemption has happened and yet it's still utterly corrupt and people are still sick and they're dying. And so maybe we can redeem the material world. And it's from this kind of effort to redeem the material world that science itself, like we started paying attention to matter. And it's from that that science was born. And so it's like we have these two, these two fundamental problems. It's like how to take care of the material world and then how to take care of our subjective experience of the material world. And we have become extraordinarily effective at number one. And we have become utterly blind in some sense to number two because it's so easy for us to just because we're creating solutions so fast in the, um, in the area of, of the material world, we can, um, it, it's seductive. It's like, we know that we can do that. Whereas the, the work over here is actually hard. Yeah. And I think that's part of what's happened in the West. And I think that's why so many people are, are digging into sort of Eastern esoteric, uh, things because I think they have some, some insights into that, but there's a little bit more. And actually even, you know, older Christian mysticism as well. Uh, that's all kind of speculative. That's not my, my, my main area of expertise. You know, what I'm, what I've, I'm interested in that stuff and I'm bringing it into the work, but where I sort of see a, a place that is really underexplored is this place of how movement practice helps us with these things. And this is something that that actually is in those Eastern traditions. That's it, Well, it's present for us in yoga, but again, yoga has been stripped of its spirituality in a lot of yes. ways. Um, it's become, you know, essentially yoga, that the, the positions originated as ways of, of loosening the body so that sitting in meditation would be much could be more easier. Yeah. Right. That was all that it was, but now everyone's focused on the, the 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 contorting the body as an aesthetic thing, or as a um, you know as a competitive thing, as a as a, you know this is where you're going to get f fit, you know, strong, etc. And that wasn't really what it was really originally designed for. And the meditative practices are there, but it feels like a lot of times they they that's been sort of eclipsed as it's come into the West. So. But one of the key ideas here is you look at yoga and its relationship to meditative and spirituality. You look at thai, uh, traditional martial arts, like um, the distinction between internal and external martial arts. One of the potential origins for that distinction is actually internal meant Taoist and external meant Buddhist because Buddhist martial arts were external to Chinese culture. Right. The Buddhist tradition was external to Chinese culture. They came in. So like Shaolin Gong Fu, the Shaolin temple is a Buddhist temple. And that's considered one of the kind of uh, really influential uh, forefathers of all the uh, external martial arts in Asia. And whereas the, the Bagua, Jingyi, and Tai Chi are essentially 
Taoist martial arts. And so the idea that your, your practice of self-cultivation, your spirituality, your awareness, your mindfulness are actually linked to some kind of physical practice seems a little bit um, strange to us in the West, but it's actually totally something that was traditional in the West. And, and martial arts practice, which martial arts was not just like fighting, right? Martial sure. arts practices, Kung Fu means good work. It's, it's self-cultivation. Yeah. Um, was always tied to these kind of spiritual traditions as well. So I'm, I'm not a guy who actually even believes in like a metaphysical or supernatural realm, but I think that we have the intra-psychic realm, right? We have the realm between our ears, which is much more vast than we realize, and that our cognitive mind is not nearly as good, is not nearly as much of us as we think it is. There's a lot of other stuff going on in there, and getting that all integrated is extraordinarily important. And I think that the role of movement practice or the connection of movement practice into that is something that we're really blind to. And I think that as, as people are recovering this interest in that subjective well-being standpoint, there needs to be this synthesis of those ideas with physical culture and physical practices. So one thing that, um, you know, one obvious area of that is physical practices are, are maybe the most profound ways to tap into the flow state. And the flow state is is one of the most important altered states that we can experience that gives us that deep presence of the now. One of the, the distinguishing aspects of the flow state is actually the loss of time, right? Mm-hmm. The sense of time goes away. And the reason the sense of time goes away is really interesting. Essentially, the brain is prioritizing motor control to such a degree that that continuing its sort of timekeeping isn't worth it spending its energy on. So our brain shuts off the part of itself that, that tries to keep time when you're doing something really intense physically. So there's a book called the rise of Superman, which is a great book by um, Stephen Kotler. Yeah. And he talks about the triggers of flow being a rich environment, deep embodiment and consequences. So if you think about that, 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 uh, that video you watched of me that really kind of, grabbed your attention. I'm high in a tree. It's a beautiful context, right? I'm being tensely physical. And if I fail, the consequences are dramatic. In order to actually control and be safe in that environment, I have to enter a flow state. And that's one of the reasons that I continually go back to these things because that place that I have to enter is so meaningful. Before I even understood the the concept of the flow state, um, I connected it to a Taoist idea, and the Taoist idea probably describes the flow state, which is Wu Wei. Wu Wei means action without action or effortless action. So the idea is that once you've trained something to a specific point, it requires no volition to do it. Right? It happens through you. So when I'm jumping up in the trees, I never force myself to jump. I always wait until I feel as if I'm being pulled into the jump. It's as if I'm surrendering to the jump. I look at the jump and it's as if I've already jumped and I'm, and then I just let my body flow through that moment. Mm. And that's the only way to be absolutely safe in a situation like that. Um, and so that's, and that, that's why I come back to those, those things because that experience of, of being sort of comp- it's a oneness experience, Right. It's, yeah. it's as if I am not acting on the world anymore, but the world is acting through me. 
And uh, what I want to say, so Wu Wei, you, you, oh, the other, the other version of that, the Japanese say Mushin notion, um, mind of no mind, right? And the, the swordsman Musashi, he said, uh, when, you, when you've done 10,000 cuts, you don't cut anymore, it cuts, right? Mm-hmm. The mind, the, the thinky, the narrative, the, the frontal cortex, which is so noisy, um, the monkey mind is, is shut down. And when we deeply cultivate ourselves through physical practice, we have this place where we can enter into a profound state of being, right? So it's through this pathway of becoming, becoming stronger, of carving yourself, of carving the deadwood off your character, of pushing yourself, of suffering, right? intentionally choosing suffering, that we get access to these moments of extraordinary experience. And those flow states, those, those moments that you have, they're so meaningful to you. So, um, yeah, that's a bit of a rant again, but uh, I'm, I'm very inspired today to talk about this stuff. Yeah, no, it's good. It's like it's uh, it's almost like a self-induced microcycle with the hero's journey. It's like you're putting yourself in through that cycle of going from your ordinary world into an extraordinary. It's uh, you're facing a trial and tribulation, which is a form of adversity, and then from overcoming that, you enter a state of super consciousness. Essentially, you you enter a state of oneness connected to something much deeper than what you would be in your day-to-day life. And that's yeah. your, that's the flow state. That's when you're literally at your peak potential. And I've done the, I, I do very similar things and I actively pursue, I actively, I actively pursue, um, yeah, I guess tasks, goals, um, paths in my life that I, can put myself into those situations to face some adversity at, by choice in order to be able to get that sort of experience. And is this is very different to you in that I don't do it as regular as you, but I still, it's like you have to start somewhere in that I was at the, I was visiting Stateside and I was at the Grand Canyon and there is a, I can't give you the specifics of where it is, but there is a point where it's like you've got the cliff edge and then there is like a little solo cliff that just kind of arises and you could, it's like a, maybe like a, a five, a five meter jump, which isn't, is it's, uh, that's a half decent long jump. But when you add it with the, with the consequence of if you fuck up, you're dead, it adds a whole new layer to it. And I used to be pretty good at long jump in, in the equivalent of high school here in the UK. And I was like, yeah, I could, I could make that. I could make that. And I had some time and I kind of got myself into it. And it was weird as, as I, as I was running, I went through almost like a micro cycle of the hero's journey in my head of confronting the fear while like it's everything almost slowed down. And in my head, I was going through the whole cycle of like the initiatory process of getting into that flow state of battling against my demon, my demon being the, the doubt or fear of what was going to happen and overcoming that into which the reward was being in the flow state in the moment and then making the jump. And then when I was in the process of making the jump, it almost is like a Hollywood film where time slows down and you can see everything. You're like in the jump looking downwards and then seeing everything in slow motion. And then you make the jump and then you're just like, wow, 
whew, you get that massive yeah you get that adre- you get that adrenaline buzz it's almost like you just had a full body orgasm but it's 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 a crazy it's a crazy feeling and uh yeah obviously you don't you may not have you might not want to do it with consequences as high as that but and the more and more you would do it like you said it's like once you've done 10,000 cuts it's it's you become it's the you become the cut mm-hmm. itself and i think by putting yourself consciously into those situations you are entraining your brain to get into peak states at a much quicker, faster rate. And then another Musashi quote is how you do something is how you do everything. And yeah. once you, and which relates back to what you said earlier about wanting to master one thing, like once you have mastered a path, you know the path of how to master everything else. Cause it's the same principles and protocols that you then embody on the path of mastering something else. And I think that is something that I've tried pursuing in my own life is mastery of myself, mastery of my mind, body, and spirit. And once you begin to get pretty well versed in one, you know how to go about becoming pretty well versed in not just, well, in pretty much everything in life. Everything follows the same path, literally the same guide map, the hero's journey. It's literally, that that hero's monomyth has so, has far reaching implications than just, than what we can comprehend. Yeah. So in the parkour community, we have a, there's a process called breaking the jump. This, uh, this breakdown of it is, um, is something I got from Stefan Vigru, who was one of David Bell's direct students in Trinity Amakazi. So there's six steps. First, you feel the call of the jump. And then you assess the jump. Right? And then you feel the fear. And then you overcome the fear. And then you have to make a decision. And then you have to act. Right? So... Feeling the fear to me is like, or feeling the call of the jump, that's the call to adventure, right? Mm, yeah. yeah. Right? And then, you know, assessing is preparing for the adventure. Feeling the fear is descending into the underworld, right? Mm-hmm. Overcoming the fear, right? That's conquering your, your dragon, right? So there, there's these fundamental things. Um, and then also this, this parallels basically like the fundamental of like modern military thinking, which was described by, uh, and also it's hugely influential in corporations is described by, uh, John Boyd, a military strategist. He said, you know, essentially you're always going through this Uda loop, orient, observe, orient, decide, and act. Reality is chaotic. You can never understand it completely. So you're always going through this thing of what do I actually see? Can I actually attend to what's truly happening? Okay, so you're observing. Then you orient. How do I act? Then you make a decision. This is what I'm going to do, and then you get to act. And so you always have to be able to loop through these things. You have to orient effectively to the world. And what we're doing every time that we go out to do parkour or take on any movement practice, but I think parkour is especially revelatory of this practice. When you go and look at a jump, you are you are observing. I can do this. You're feeling this call. You're, you're dealing with that fear you're, and you're voluntarily approaching something and then you get to overcome it. And that teaches you something about the way that you do that everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right? So this is another idea that I get from Peterson that I really like. The dragon that you chase down isn't as scary as the dragon that chases you down. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so there's a, there's a difference between, um, voluntarily approaching challenges and having challenges approach you. 
And so if you can become the type of person who sees a challenge and turns themselves towards that challenge, then you have a strength of character, which actually changes the very way that you interact with the world. So cognitive behavioral therapy essentially is all about this, right? I think of, I actually, <laughs> I joke that, that, that parkour or movement practice is, you know, natural movement is it's motoric behavioral therapy, right? Cognitive behavioral therapy is basically this idea that when, when you are afraid of something, you have to dose yourself with it. You just have to dose yourself with a small enough dose that you can get stronger and that you can get braver. So, you know, if you become afraid of, of elevators, it's like, well, are you too afraid to look at a picture of an elevator? Okay. Now you can handle looking at a picture of an elevator. Can you go walk and stand where you can see the elevator? Now can you look at the elevator and look down the shaft and then can you, can you stand in the elevator at the ground floor and step out? And so you go through this process of becoming braver. Um, and the, the key idea here is essentially that when you let, when you let fears win, you get smaller. When you go away from the things that scare you, you're atrophying. Mm. The only way to hypertrophy your character, right? It's like a muscle, right? You, you, you don't use it, it gets small. You use it, it gets big. It's like your character is like that. Are you growing your character? By grow, you, to grow your character, you have to, to, to make a practice of actively confronting things that scare you a little bit. And when you can regularly dose yourself with just the right amount of fear, right? You can become the type of person who can, who can overcome things in general. I um, had a really interesting experience uh, in November or September. Uh, I went to this event called Tribe Design and they had a, it's like a communication, radical communication, honesty event. Very cool event. Um, but they had a, a, a circle where you had to rap, freestyle rap. That was, was just like you showed up, they started playing music, and nobody told you you were going to do this. And all of a sudden it's like, we're going to call you into the center of the circle and you're going to have to freestyle. Um, and I have uh, like really had some some kind of hangups around feeling like I don't have rhythm, you know, my, I can't sing, I'm not musical. Uh, been told all the time, like you're so white. Um, <laughs> you know, my wife was a, was a theater major in college. And so she's really just naturally can sing. She's been doing that since she was four years old. And so like, I, I used to try and sing and I was just trying, I'm just a baby, like trying out my, my wings. And she was just so horrified by the fact that I didn't know what to do. It was really traumatic for me. So, um, so we're called up there and, and, and you had to rap. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna have to do this. I'm just going to be all in when I do it. It's just like taking the jump. So I ended up rapping about the fact that I could overcome all these fears physically and seem so brave, but this thing actually scared the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. And it went over really powerfully and it worked and the words just flowed out of my mouth. And I got to do it again at a second event and it worked again. And, and they're actually really peak states, really powerful moments of, of flow. And I really don't believe that I could have done that except all the times that I've faced down my fears, right? It's only because of the character that I've cultivated through these other activities. Now that doesn't mean that I'm going to be a great rapper just because I do parkour, <laughs> but it means that I'm, I'm 
I'm better able to start that journey. I'm better able to step into it and to put myself in the type of state where I have a chance of success. Yeah. And it's, and you recognize where you are at within that journey itself, within the cycle. And then you know how to respond accordingly to the position you're at. Yeah. And it's I'm okay with not being perfect too. Right. Yeah. I've fallen on my face enough times that, that like, I know I won't die. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I, I've re- re- really loved that. Really loved that breakdown, Rafe. Can you can you go into a little bit more detail now in terms of the actual practice of movement itself and where you think the whole movement culture is beginning to um, advance to? Because I, when I look at parkour, I always like I've been involved in like high performance athletics throughout my life and uh functional training like gym based stuff and when i look at parkour athletes especially like the next generation of parkour athletes they really are in my opinion some of like pound for pound the the best embodiment of true human potential in the physical body but also in the mental body as well in terms of just completely being in touch in the moment it's almost like movement meditation when they're doing when and this is the people that do it urban parkour this is yeah, let alone sure. the layer that you add onto it which is then embodying a more of a natural approach where it's going to be in in natural environment in the trees in the woods and everything like that i'm just it's really it's really fascinating look at just the layers of the athletic ability that's developed through doing it but also the the sort of mental fortitude that's developed and just with you, I know that you've gone, you've then got that sort of connection back to nature and how that sort of ascent, that sort of powers the whole package up. Yeah. All right. So there's a few different questions it feels like in there, but I'll, I'll start, start where I start. Um, so I think that the parkour community is one of the most profound things that people can look at about how we should learn, mm-hmm. right? Because it has exploded the skill level has absolutely exploded and this isn't just the parkour community you can also point to all these other different flow communities surfing snowboarding skateboarding rollerblading all over the place the level of skill is progressing at this extraordinary rate Um, parkour is particularly sort of emblematic in a way just because i think it's relatively comparable to a couple traditional sports so, um, in, you know, in the, in the rise of Superman, they make this big point that basically all these sports that are really good at cultivating flow states, all these sports that deliver rich environment, deep embodiment, and high risk, you're seeing this ability of athletes to, to actually tap into flow and to sort of make these quantum leaps in performance. When you're a team sport athlete, you know, or you're, you're, you're kind of getting pulled out of flow all the time by the other the other team and so they don't have as much time to spend in that state it seems like that's the argument they make in that book so i uh i was a gymnastics teacher and i've always sort of compared what was happening in the parkour community to gymnastics and i would ask myself this question like um you know given a year the best gymnast in the world the best free runner in the world who is more competent at the other sport at the end of that year Right. So you take take Kohei Uchimura and you have him train as a as a parkour athlete for a year, and you take you know um, you know Nate Weston, who's uh, one of my former students, have him train on the other side for a year. 
Pedro Sagado, or I don't know who, who, who people want to name, Bart Vanderlinden. Um, for years, I thought like, look, the gymnasts are still ahead of us. But over the last couple of years, I think that the parkour community has actually surpassed the gymnastics community. Yeah, I'd agree and, with that. And that is astonishing because those athletes have been doing this for like, you know, the community is 14 years old in the United States, 15 years old. That's it, right? And with gymnastics, you're talking about a pedagogy that's 200 years old. Talking about the athletes at the top have been training since they were four years old. They've been training 30, 40, 50 hours a week since they were in, in their 10 years old. And they've been doing this with coaches. And now you have these parkour athletes who are self-taught, who don't train as hard, you know, um, who, who, who don't have this developed system to support them. They don't have a talent recruitment system. And, and all of a sudden they're just, they're just blowing up. Uh, and I think that it, it really comes down to actually that a lot of our traditional systems of physical education are mechanical and that a mechanical model of learning um, doesn't work for human beings. Human beings are ecological systems. They're not mechanical systems. So when you apply a mechanical type of understanding to trying to solve human motor problems, you actually introduce all of these, um, you introduce uh, barriers in the way of the attainment of skill. So, uh, essentially if you cue someone incorrectly, if you cue someone with say internal cues as opposed to external cues. So an internal cue is in re the body in reference to itself. An external cue is the body in reference to the environment. Um, those internal cues can actually make it harder for the athlete to organize their body effectively. When you, uh, when you teach someone with a highly cognitive model of a skill, you have a problem called reinvestment, which is essentially that when the skill is under pressure, when they're stressed, their body, their, their brain will revert to using the prefrontal cortex and they'll move out of that zone of unconscious competence and the skill will break down into its component pieces. So the more you break it down into its component pieces as you're teaching it and try to get the athlete to control all of those, the more that it, you're likely to actually produce a place where they're going to break that skill down into component pieces and try to distribute their attention across all those pieces. And they don't have the attention resources to do that. So what I think happened with the parkour community and a lot of these other flow sport communities is that we essentially tapped into the play-based learning system that human beings really need. And there's this whole area of motor learning theory and dynamical systems learning theory that's now being applied to team sport athletes at the highest level and like track and field athletes. It's just trickling down and, and you know, it originates in the work of thinkers like um, James J. Gibson and uh, Nikolai Bernstein. And that's really just tr trickling down into, you know, parts of the, 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 the team sport environment and the like elite sport environment. And I think that, that there's a, that essentially it's been discovered independently, but it's not articulated in these flow sport communities. And so what we're doing with Evolve Move Play is actually going in and trying to create better models of how we take that. You know, the first goal of a coach, in my opinion, is like, is the same as a doctor. First, do no harm. Don't, don't coach your student in a way that's gonna make them overly dependent on you. Don't coach them in a way that's gonna introduce new types of errors into their coaching. So understand that they have the inherent ability to learn whatever they're setting out for. And now your job is to facilitate that 
and to give them better environment, better drills, more variety and emotional support, right? That allows that to grow. Um, so, so that's, that's my view of, of what's happening. And, um, and I actually think that a lot of what's out there as far as movement culture or what's out there as far as natural movement is, is totally behind the times. They're, they don't understand the natural movement system. The, the, the people who I'm inspired by are not in, you know, aside from, you know, Fighting Monkey, Tom Wexler, and, and, uh, and Simon Thacker, um, and maybe a few other names who, who are not popping into my head. Most of the people who are trying to teach movement right now are, are totally stuck in this mechanical model of, of learning. They don't understand the science of cueing. They don't understand dynamical systems. And, and I think that in a lot of ways, they're actually in the way of their students attaining the type of skills. And, and you can tell this because you can compare the formally taught students to the communities of, of feral students, right? Mm. The self-taught flow state communities and the formally taught communities are nowhere near the skill levels that are attained. Yeah, I totally so, agree, man. Yeah, so for me, the first thing is parkour is like a, is like, I would call parkour a, like a base source code for what we do. And we've taken that and say, applied it to the martial arts. Like I, I teach my students and I say, okay, how do I use a task constrained play-based approach to teaching the, the martial arts? And then now I go back and I read like, um, you know, here on my table I've got, you know, strength coordination by... Franz Bosch. So I'm picking up ideas. So one of the, one of the weaknesses I would say that you see in the parkour community is that, that the movements are too volitional, right? When you actually have to act in the environment, you're reacting to stimulus outside of yourself. So that pathway of looking at a thing, deciding what to do, and then going, we have lots of time to decide what you're doing. And then you do sequences of I'm going to do a Kong vault to a precision, to a leche, to a dash, et cetera. Um, you're, you're pre-programming that movement and it's not reactive to the environment. It's not about reading the environment in the same way, in a proactive way. So for instance, me and my student, uh, Robert, who's one of my teachers, um, was one of the teachers for the brand. We were training yesterday and I came up with this drill that I really like. So he, one of us would be walking two steps in front of the other around a space with a bunch of obstacles. And whenever that person chose, they would run and they would run through a set of obstacles. And once they got to clear space, they would walk. If I could get to him before he got to the other side and tag him, then I'd get to take over. So it's like, it's like follow the leader and it's like tag. But, but the basic idea was that there's this, this space in between going where that person is wandering through the environment, finding a line. And then the, the person who's following has to reactively adapt to the line that's imposed on mm, them. Yeah. So they have to recognize what's available in the environment and then how to utilize that environment to achieve a goal, right? Can I be, sm okay, he's decided on this path. Can I be smarter than him and find a way through that path that's gonna allow me to be quicker and get to him and tag him? And this creates much more aliveness and much more of the reactive ability that actually allow you to escape and reach, which is the original idea of parkour. Somebody's chasing you. How do you get away? You have to chase someone down. How do you get to them? And so that's a, that's the type of stuff we're trying to bring in. We're trying to bring in an understanding of, of how we use task constraints, how we use external cues, how we use, um, effective, um, practice design, effective meaning like emotional. How do you support people 
into the optimal emotional state that's going to allow them to learn optimally. And so we think that that through taking this very sophisticated model of motor learning that's coming through kind of the, the upper levels of sport um, and applying it and, and doing it in a way that's congruent with this self-organized system of learning through play that we already see in these flow state communities, we can power a, a form of of, of movement education that's going to allow us to make even more adaptable athletes, people who, you know, will surpass what we're seeing by leaps and bounds. Yeah. And I think it's what you were saying then just that, uh, the whole sort of play movement, it's going to help facilitate neuro, um, neurogenesis, synaptoplasticity or synaptogenesis, which is neuroplasticity. Yeah. And yeah, it just creates a whole new dimension in terms of, um, inner growth to, an, to another level and when you break it down and you really think about it you're like shit this is this is the next level this is the mm-hmm. next level in terms of human potential and what we're capable of of on a physical level you need to integrate those other aspects into your training or I should say play and yeah. that is where you're going to see the most growth because like you said you can take a gymnast that's been training for 10 10 years 10,000 hours and then you in a in a reasonably um, unstimulated, unstimulated environment, and then you you take some kid from wherever it's going to be around the world, and they do a few years of self-trained um, parkour, but in a state of play, with sort of high consequence um, actions involved, and they develop a completely different level of athleticism. They develop a completely different level of just their performance. And I definitely, I'm definitely buy into everything you're saying, dude. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I definitely think you're onto something uh, with, you. with that, with that angle that you're approaching this at. And yeah. Um, what, yeah. Tell me more, man. I'm like, I'm really intrigued in all of this. I could sit here and listen to this for a while yeah. because this is something that literally I sit, I sit on my phone and obviously I'm always looking for like athletes that I think are on a next level in order to sort of help with my brand. And I, I'm just obsessed with watching parkour videos, with watching your videos, with watching like these, this next generation of kids that are coming through that are just vaulting over, like vaulting over like high rise buildings in Shanghai. And you're just like, what the fuck? Doing like backflips over like, that's like hundreds of feet high. And you're just like, Jesus, man, there are some next level humans that are in the, that are on this planet earth at the moment. And it's only good. Like you said, it's only going to accelerate the growth and the generation below me are going to be again, next level. Yeah. It's crazy what's happening. I mean, so I'm, you know, 99.9% of the people I meet are more like I have abilities that are, seem superhuman to them. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm learning to do a corkscrew right now. Not that's there's so few people who are approaching a skill like that in most of the world. And the fact that I'm like 37 years old and like a 225 pound athlete, you know, makes that pretty cool. But there's kids right now in the UK who are doing corkscrews as like precisions between objects, right? They're, yeah. they're eight feet across and landing precisely on something while mm-hmm. flipping and twisting a 360. Um, that type of stuff was incomprehensible three years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a guy in the UK called Verky who, you know, you just check out his stuff. It's, yeah, I, I know him. Doesn't, doesn't seem like it doesn't seem plausible. And 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 I think what it is is it's this um, it's it's a group flow state too, 
right? Because there's all these people who are contributing to it. There's all these minds that are, that are networking through sharing each other's movement, through getting together and playing, right? Like all these guys who, who are doing this top level stuff, it's not like they show up to train and, you know, they, they were doing like, Set amount of reps, set amount of sets, whatever, you know, uh, I do think aspects of practice design can be improved. Um, but what's happening is that they're engaging in a way that's emotionally really rewarding and motivating. They're networking each other's minds. They're watching and emulating each other. One guy does a skill. Another guy watches it and, and he, he's fired his motor neurons and he has a better map of what's possible right they see the environment through each other and that type of stuff has this incredible power to 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 unlock human potential and i think that you know for me there's there's interesting there's kind of these two layers to what i'm doing and, and kind of trying to 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 really refine them is sort of where i'm at in my process right now but i talked about this earlier uh that that essentially this is like a hero's journey and I think that the ultimate orientation of movement practice should be towards that changing your experience of the world and what you're capable of in the world um, to, towards that more heroic version of yourself. And I think this is important because a lot of times in sport, we get, we get stuck in the competitive mode. And it's, it's, it's kind of like the having mode. I want to have the gold medal. I want to have the status of being the best in the world. I want to have the status of being the first guy to do a quadruple cork or something like that. Um, and ultimately those things don't tend to be fulfilling, not in the long term. So like I'm, uh, I've been around this community for 14 years. Uh, and I, I was one of the more physically able athletes in the beginning. So I got to be one of the first people to do a lot of skills. And right? I got to the point where like, I was doing jumps that nobody else had done. And then it maybe sometimes it was years until people would do the jump that I had done. But then one day I had one of my students who was 11 years old who did a swing that I had broke um, that took me two years to land and catch with my hands. And he did it on his first try. He was 11 years old. And so you get this realization that, that, that the, the jump is ephemeral, right? The moment of being at the top is ephemeral. It's like, 99.999% of people, whatever, are never going to be the top at anything. Um, and, and even if you are, you get to be the best for maybe 10 years if you're a, a generational talent. Um, so how do you sustain yourself for the long term? Because when we talk about why we do these things, we say, oh, it makes me stronger. It gives me courage. It gives me these things. But if we focus always on these external goals, um, then we get, we get, we, we set ourselves up to, to be dependent, um, on, on achievement to gain the benefits of our practice. And I think that's, that, that doesn't make practice sustainable over the long run. You want to build a practice. You want to build an ethics into your practice. That's going to help everybody who comes in, no matter how physically talented they are. And that's going to help even the most talented people continue to benefit from the activity, even when they're way past their prime. Um, so, so to me, the long run has to be about how it changes you as a human being. And, and then how it changes you as a human being has to be married to some broader set of, of, uh, of ideas about what it means to, to, to be oriented towards the good, 
right? You, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm courageous because I can jump, but do I have the courage to, to talk with someone who I have a difference of opinion on, right? Do I have the courage to, to ask for a raise at work? Do I have the courage to do these things? And there's a trap because sometimes physical practice, once you're good at anything, not just physical practice, could be music, could be, could be thinking, could be math. Once you're good at anything, it can become a safe space for you where you go to avoid confronting all the things that you need to confront in other places. Yeah. So you have to be oriented towards this as a, as a journey towards cultivating something that, that helps you in the broadest sense of your character. So that's like the top layer of what we are. So then when you go to the next level, it's like, well, how do you do that? Right? What is the how of how we build people? And that's that layer that I was just talking about of like, using that basic understanding of flow states and, and flow state sports and play research and then marrying it with all the motor learning research and, um, and dynamical systems research. So you have to have sub goals in my opinion. It's like, you can say, okay, I want to be the most heroic version of myself and that's great. And, and pursuing movement will, will help you with that. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's not structured enough to really guide you. So you need to go in and, and create sub goals that are meaningful, right? I want to be able to respond reactively to, to things that arise in my environment. I want to be able to deal with a fight where it's intense, right? I want to be able to, to do this and this. And then you, you just have to set those things up in your practice. Um, and I think that the setup of those things is um, maybe where the magic is that's where the difficulty is that's where the art is you know and i i think of these things as arts and practices i don't think of themselves as exercises and fitness really like i think the fitness model is broken um i don't think it works i think that 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 fundamentally the idea is to practice becoming a human it's the art of being human it's it's gung fu right maybe the, the chinese had it right right you practice martial arts um in part to be able to fight Yes, but what you're practicing is the art of doing work well, of doing things well, of practicing towards the good. Um, and and so, so that's true. And then at the same time, if what you think you're practicing is how to fight somebody, you better be practicing it in a way that's actually gonna help you fight somebody. Like, you, because, because when you, um, there's this, this thing that happens with like a lot of the Asian martial arts that have this beautiful philosophy, beautiful self-discipline, but as they've been translated into the West, they've lost touch with reality. And I don't think that you can have optimal character development when you're lying to yourself about what, what you're doing is actually teaching you. Right. And that's one of the things that I think is so powerful about parkour is it's real skin in the game. Right. You, 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 if you go up there and you say, I can jump from here to there and you can't, you'll find out yeah. when you lie to yourself, you get punished and you want to, you want to operate in the world actually, where you do get punished when you lie because you don't want to be wrong and not know it. So you want to operate in such a way that you're constantly getting real feedback. Um, but that feedback is, uh, isn't catastrophic. Yeah. Um, so, so that's where I think all these things come together. And, and, and I think I'm, I'm reaching the point in, in describing this to you where I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm at the, at the things that I'm hammering at right now. 
right? Like I don't have this perfectly articulated. I'm I'm trying to put together these strands from from cognitive science and evolutionary biology and Eastern esoteric traditions and you know and and get at this idea of how we use movement practice to orient ourselves towards towards the good basically and towards becoming the people that we want to be. Um, um, but there's so many little things to chase down once you really start looking at what that project is. And I've, I've really enjoyed this Rafe. Like, honestly, I've really enjoyed it. And everything you've said has been like re resonated really, really deeply within me. And every, like, I've been, I've got pretty deep philosophies when it comes to most things. And I've always had this interest in literally what you said, but the way you articulated it today is, mm. ex is exactly just cleared up a lot that was in my head of, yeah, I w like I, although again, I have, I haven't practiced it, but I always kind of like, I had that, I had that idea in my head. And when you've articulated like this, I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. That's exactly how I, it made sense because it, it then connects the dots of everything else that is in my, this sort of picture I've got in my mind. And this is, this is, this is it, man. This is, this, you hit the nail on the head. Like this, this is how we evolve. Like literally yeah. <laughs> evolve, move and play like this. This is how we evolve. And it's through that, that we're going to find the next step in the, the health and fitness realm. Mm -hmm. And it, that's, it's, this is going to be that bridging gap between the, like the, the peak performance of human beings and being able to connect to higher realms. It, I know you said that you're not into the metaphysical spiritual side, but I feel like, once you once this breaks through a certain plateau, I think the spiritual side is waiting because it's deeply, it's it's one of the guiding forces behind this evolve move play that I feel is going to be a natural progression and it, it, it unifies it very it, it will link very well and partner it very well and yeah as we're talking I'm kind of piecing it together in my head and kind of coming to my own conclusions with everything you said and it's. Yeah, it's bang on, dude. And again, I've, we're uh, we're pretty tight for time now, so we will tie this one in. But, yeah. mate, I'd love to be able to have you on again and sure. go into depth on this because most on, on a lot of the podcasts, like a, like a, I'm an active talking and I'm like yeah. I've got a lot to say. But on this one, I really like this was like meditation for me. This was me just here, just wow. listening and put me into my that's why i didn't talk much because i was like there was a lot going on in my head while you were talking about this because it was articulating and filling connecting the dots in my own mind and my own picture and yeah i really enjoyed this one dude um really did enjoy this one so thank you for, thank you man like it really this was this yeah. was probably one of my favorite podcasts i've done and yeah i, I'm, I haven't got i'm yeah i can't say great like good enough things <laughs> about this this is uh yeah i've got a lot to a lot to uh think about once this is over and recalibrate and yeah maybe start putting some things into actions that i know i should have done a while ago when it comes to my own sort of physical embodiment of a lot of the philosophy that you brought up to today that maybe i should start getting into this more because i feel like i've got uh in bristol in the uk yeah go talk to my friend mark walsh and then go train with the store boys Okay. Yeah. I've, I've reached, I've, I'm, I've reached out to Callum before from, yeah. uh, from there and they're, they're all based over like I've 
Callum's down in Brighton, and I know a few of the Callum. You're in Brighton. Where are you? No, Bristol. Bristol. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, yeah, I, they're yeah, they're. I know that those guys are based down in Brighton, and I know that Bristol, it's, there's a good Bristol crew too. I think, but really? also goes to Ben uh, Ben Metter. Um, okay, where, I don't know Ben. Where whereabouts is he based? Ben Metter's in London, but he's okay. one of my students. He's he's, uh, he's been teaching my method now for two or three years, so okay. definitely good connection. He's got yeah. A, Maybe you could get maybe you could get the two of us in touch. That would be if yeah, you could we'll contact us. That would be uh, link us up, and that would be great. But uh, Rafe, man, let's um, let's tie this one in. So for everyone that's really enjoyed what you've had to say today, dude, whereabouts can they find more about you? If you've got your website, your social media handles, your YouTube, yeah, where whereabouts, where's your where's your presence at? Yeah, yeah. So um, evolvemoveplay.com is where people can find what we're doing. We've got a series of workshops coming up in the states. We should have an Australian tour announced soon. Um, ben Metter, who I just mentioned, has got a really amazing event with uh, Wild Human, which is a mixed bushcraft and natural movement event called Wildwoods coming up in, I believe, July. If you're on the in the UK, absolutely check that out. It's going to be amazing. I did that with those guys a couple of years ago. So highly recommend that. Um, uh, we're, uh, yeah, and then um, I'll be, sorry, uh, Instagram, Rafe Kelly. Facebook, Rafe Kelly Movement, YouTube, Rafe Kelly. You can find me on all those. Just tons of great content on all those different platforms. I'm in the middle of designing online courses for people. So uh, so keep an eye out for those. And then we'll be announcing soon uh, a four-day retreat at my favorite spots in the world, staying at my beautiful family property in the Skagit Valley in October called the Autumn, the Autumn Retreat. So keep your, your eyes peeled for that. And um, that's pretty much it. All right shit there you go guys fucking hell yes love <laughs> this one and guys follow, follow rafe up like literally check him out check check these videos out that i was describing earlier and it will begin to give you a clearer picture of not just the physical feats but then it will link into obviously everything you've heard rafe talk about today which is the philosophical um backing behind it and it really does connect the dots when you um when you piece the two together but uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's tie this one up, guys. Let's call this a night. This one has been amazing. Really enjoyed this. So Rafe, thanks for coming on, brother. And guys, that's episode 54. Episode 54. Whew. All right, we started we're on our way. We're past the halfway mark. Well, I guess there is no halfway mark because it's indefinite. But still, guys, episode 54. Whew. Stay woke as fuck. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Peace out, guys.